Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's episode is all about innovation management through the eyes of venture building. On the show, I have with me Faris Mismar, who actually owns and operates the venture builder Hatch and Boost. Hatch and Boost is all about creating value in Mina's consumer space by tackling key problems by introducing interesting solutions. In the episode, we talk about what is a venture builder, how the model has come to evolve throughout the years how to operate a venture builder, what are some of the key metrics you should be thinking of, including how to make impact, and last but not least, how to raise funding in order to operate a startup of startups. But before we get to today's episode, other things that have been going on in the market that I think are worth talking about is Anghami's move to Abu Dhabi from Lebanon. Now, Anghami is the Spotify of Mina. You can stream music, podcasts, all kinds of content that targets Mina. Though they're based in Lebanon, they recently decided to move their HQ to Abu Dhabi. Now, Abu Dhabi is trying to be a tech capital and an innovation hub in the Mina region. So they've been pouring tons of investments in up and coming startups in order to get them to move to the Emirates. Now, an important caveat is they do want to be an innovation hub, which means that they're encouraging people to actually set up R&D offices out of the Emirates. And and Rami will be doing that. They've officially said that they'll be launching a research and development center in Abu Dhabi, which means some really cool and exciting things can be coming out of there for the streaming world, targeting Mina, and maybe even something that resonates with a global audience. And without further ado, let's jump to today's episode. Now, let me tell you how I know about venture building, actually. So I work for an accelerator by day. And last, actually in 2019, as we sat down and thought, okay, what would be the next evolution of FinTech Hive, which is the accelerator program, I started looking into different models around the world about how startups are fostered. And I came across the venture builder model. And the way a lot of the articles describe venture building is at the base level, you have an incubator where you house companies that are not owned by you necessarily in a dominant or let's say primary stakeholder manner and you help them grow in a set period of time and then the founders kind of take it from there. One level up is an accelerator where you get a little bit more mature companies in, help them maybe let's say get to revenue, access to market and the duration may still be three to six months but it was seen as a little bit more mature than an incubator. And then kind of one level up from that is a venture builder from the way I understand it is is you have a pool of entrepreneurs who either have their own ideas or they invite other entrepreneurs with their ideas to come. But this time they own the businesses and it's in their interest to make sure that the businesses grow. And often three to six months is not enough. They find that you need at least a year to really put all hands on deck and to make sure this business has a chance of succeeding in the market. Now, this is my understanding. I'm going to pause And I want you to either verify, correct me, give me your insights on what is venture building from your point of view. So you're actually right. So this is what you read and this is the case. So venture builders are meant to take ideas to markets, right? And these ideas, usually they are around creating digital products, okay? And and digital startups. 
and tech startups or different startups of, of different nature. The idea is to do things quicker and cheaper. That's the whole idea of, of venture studios or startup studios or venture building. Now, the term venture building has evolved over time, and we've seen that over the past two years, it picked up momentum internationally, and we've seen success stories of different startups in Europe and in the States, ones that they've graduated from startup studios or, or, or venture builders. Now, what differentiates incubators and accelerators from venture builders or startup studios is the hands-on approach. Yeah, So the hands-on approach and going through a very structured process from A to Z, so from ideation to revenue and being really hands-on. So accelerators and incubators, usually they'll put you in a cohort for three months or six months. You would learn a lot. You would learn the fundamentals, you'd learn the basics of ideation and, and prototyping and taking these ideas to market. However, they will never give you the level of support a startup studio or a venture builder would give, which is being hands-on and would take you from point A to point Z throughout early stage. So this is the main concept of venture building and, and startup studios. And we've seen a lot of efficiency being added to ideas and to entrepreneurs who would start and then they don't know how to continue after they graduate from an accelerator program or after finishing a cohort. And then this is where the real value happens. So how long would you typically handhold a business for? And when I say you, I mean you as a venture builder. Yeah. So as venture builders, we're doing things a little bit different. So we would hug entrepreneurship throughout early stage. Let's put it this way. And in early stage, there are a lot of ambiguities and a lot of risks associated. So we make sure that Yes, this is an idea that is worthwhile considering and worthwhile incubating within our platform as a venture builder. And we take steps together. So, and at the end of product validation or the market validation, this is where we co-found the business with the entrepreneur. Yeah. Or we bring in a co-founder in, in, in another case and we build a team around that startup. And that startup navigates the different stages of early stage. We're talking three seed to seed and from seed to series A and growing. So early on, when you onboard a startup onto your portfolio, do you make a plan with a timeline and amongst yourselves decide, okay, if we are able to achieve X, Y, Z by the timeline, will continue? Or do you kind of see how it goes along the way? I'm wondering if there's an expiration date yeah. with your trials. Actually not. We're, we're, we're not that rigid in our approach and we're extremely founder friendly. Yeah. So it's a mission-driven roadmap based on several milestones that would take the idea to market. And then once we, we get to that sweet spot, us and the co-founder, then we know what should be happening next. And because we're sector agnostic, like you can't apply the same process on a digital product or an e-commerce startup, the same way you do it with, with other business models. And is, is that standard for all venture builders or is this just the way hatching does work? I would say it's worthwhile mentioning that every venture builder should have their own style in venture building. Yeah, Like there is no playbook that was written by a successful venture builder and people should be following it. This is my own opinion. Every venture builder should have their own secret recipe. And that secret recipe would differentiate them and, and would differentiate their portfolio of startups at the end of the day. Hmm. So you mentioned that the trend of venture building has been on the rise globally. Yeah. Now, I remember about 10 years ago when I graduated university and I wanted to start working, I came across a company called Rocket Internet, yeah. which is, I don't think back then the word venture building existed. Yeah. But when I look back, I would say, okay, yes, Rocket Internet is a venture builder. So 
Would you say that they were pioneers in this and that more recently more venture builders have popped up or have there been many along the, you know, the last 10 years and it's just that the term venture building had not been coined yet? Yeah, yeah. So Rocket and, and other international organizations, they've started as startup studios or startup labs. So it's a lab, it's a factory of startup ideas. Are these all words interchangeable to me, yeah. venture builder? Yeah, yeah, they okay. do, they do. And they have great infrastructure, yeah? And proper frameworks internationally. And these would pave the way for any startup to ride onto that platform and grow and expand and scale. So when you say infrastructure, what does that mean in a venture builder term? The infrastructure is can mean different things. The ability to incorporate and to grow regionally, having glazing offices outside the region they operate in, having the ultimate access to talent and in-house talent as well. That's another definition for, for infrastructure. How can a venture builder put together great infrastructure? Would they require a great deal of funding or can you get great resources, but with not so much funding, you'd say? I would say in the early beginnings, you might be lucky in, in, in doing so, but later on, no one is willing to work for free. Yeah? You're going to you're gonna have to employ the right talent, the right, the, the right competent caliber for you to build that, that venture builder and to scale if you want to get to that stage or to that size even. Yeah? So if you want to be known globally as a startup studio or, or a startup lab, you're then you're going to have to have the right strategy to expand and to grow and to scale this business. So how does a venture builder fund itself? Who funds venture builders? There are different mod- models actually around funding venture studios or startup studios. And, and venture builders usually, they work hand in hand with talent. And the main idea is to get to a point where this startup or this this model is invested ready and then this startup is 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 ready to raise capital and whether whether this capital is raised from institutional investors or non-institutional investors then the startup would 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 be on its own after it gets to that stage and they validate their assumptions and they have their their initial revenue what about up until the point to where one of your portfolio companies is ready to fundraise who funds that early bit so it's a startup of startups and that startup has to raise money if it doesn't have the financial needs. So if, if the founders are, are not in a position to cover this operating expenses associated with building that studio or that startup lab, then it's a startup of startups and it has to raise its own money to fund its operations and, and prove its model that it's, it's efficient and it's cheaper than launching a startup on your own as a sole founder or as a co-founder with another founder. So with the fundraising process of the venture builder be similar to that of a venture capital firm? Meaning, would you go to the same type of investors who are basically looking to grow their investment portfolio through investing in startups? Well, this model hasn't really got to a point where there is a playbook again. Yeah, So there are different, different models on how to fund that startup of startups. So whether it's structured internally as a venture fund or it's structured as a startup, it's different, yeah. So, and 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 there are a lot of of corporate innovation models that that are labeled as as venture builders and as startup labs or startup studios, and these they they monetize by offering services to startups, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the business model of of venture building really differs from from one entity to another entity, according to the model and according to the country, I would say. Okay, interesting. You know, I never let you finish your trail of thought when I wanted to pick your brains on 
the trend of venture builders. We've begun talking about rocket internet and I asked you if others have been popping in the last 10 years, but then we stopped at rocket internet. Yeah. So I'm wondering, can we maybe go back to that and you can chime in on the trend of venture builders globally? Why are they popping up? Since when have they been popping up? Have they always been around with the names just recently come about? Yeah, yeah. So basically, evolution that happened in, in, in the startup studios and this model has proven its success internationally. And the likes of Rocket Internet in the US, like Science Inc. Science Inc., one of their portfolio startups was the Dollar Shave Club who exited at a billion dollar to a global FMCG company. And this is how the model has been evolving and it has been proving its success because the venture building model or the startup studio model solves a real problem in the ecosystem, the startup ecosystem, which is what happens between idea and being investor ready and going to market. Yeah. So these are, these are the fundamentals of accelerating the growth of every startup or every idea and taking it to market in a cost efficient way and then presenting it to that market, whether to to investors or whether to clients, and then monetize on that. So we've seen that in Europe as well, this model has been picking up Australia, India as well. And it's about time for the MENA region to get familiar to that model. And we've seen that the, the market has validated this model in a way. Like we've, we've, we've seen a new startup studios popping up in, in, in the MENA region. And I think the market is ready for that model and the ecosystem, including the entrepreneurs or people with ideas or first-time founders and the investors should look seriously at pairing themselves, their ideas or their investments with venture builders and startup studios. So when you, as a part of your venture builder team, get together and you validate ideas, I'm curious about a particular thing. I've always thought that some of the, or rather, I've always thought that you don't need to reinvent the wheel as an entrepreneur. You don't need to have an idea that no one else has thought about. You can simply take an idea, improve it, or localize it in some way. Exactly. And some of the most successful tech companies of the region have followed that model. Take Uber and Kareem, Amazon and Soup. Now, I'm curious, when it comes to your ideation process, what ratio do you qualify ideas taken from abroad that you can bring to the market and, you know, customize and localize versus fresh ideas tailored just for Mina. So internally at Hatch and Boost, we like the whole, the whole thesis of Hatch and Boost is we want to design for local communities. Yeah? We want to design startup models for local communities. So we're trying to solve real problems in the, in the Mina region. And these real problems are ideas. Definitely a lot of people have thought about but it's at the end of the day, it's all about executing on, on these ideas and doing something about them. So there's a very well-known fact across the startup ecosystem. Like you might think of an idea today and at the same time, another thousand people have thought about the same idea and they want to solve the problem because whoever experiences or, or lives in, in a country that has a problem should do something about it. And this is how you give back to your country and you give back to your region and your, your, your community. So it's all about executing on these ideas. And you might be not ready because you have a job or, or you don't have the financial means as an entrepreneur or as a founder, or you have a lot on your plate to do something about this idea. But at the end of the day, it takes two to tango, right? Mm-hmm. So you can do, sometimes you can do things on your own. And part of empowering talent and supporting the startup ecosystem in the MENA region, the venture builders and us at Hatch and Boost, we will be solving this issue where we co-found the businesses with 
first-time founders or serial entrepreneurs even, and we take them to stages they haven't thought of, of doing on their own. It's either because, again, they don't maybe have the financial means or they don't have the right setup or the right resources. And I'm curious, what do you as, let's say, personal insights think are top five biggest pain point problems in MENA? Uh, oh, and actually, let me let me clarify. What regions do you look at? I know I say MENA is a big blanket term, but it's yeah. like GCC, GCC plus Levant. Plus GCC, Turkey. You know, yeah. So we're based out of the UAE. And this is, as we all know, it's a great country to test all your products, test all your startup ideas in, because it has this beautiful diversity in the consumer space and in B2B. So... We test everything in Dubai and then we look at other neighboring countries and other big markets that are opening up like Saudi, like Cairo, Egypt and others. So we start with the UAE and and we test these startup models. And then part of the expansion plan is definitely the neighboring countries and the big markets that are part of the MENA region. And you are in MENA. So even if you think this is something relevant for Morocco... Yeah. Okay. We've seen momentum happening in in, in North Africa. Hmm. Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, they're picking up and a lot of successful startups are launching their ideas there and then they're expanding in the region or to neighboring countries within North Africa. So back to your first question, which was around how do we look at startups and at what stage? There isn't really a stage that we look at startups. We wouldn't consider pre-revenue or post-revenue as a metric if we need to look at startup. As long as it is within early stage, happy to look at it and happy to look at where exactly is that startup or that founder with that idea and how we can add value to that startup. So looking at the lens of the entire MENA, because that's what you do, what would you say are the top five problems faced by either businesses or consumers? So let's think B2B as well as B2C. We know that the consumer space has a lot of room to innovate in. Yeah. And we know that a lot of startups are doing something in that space. So the e-commerce, after the acquisition of Sukh by Amazon, has validated the region and its willingness to just open up and, and, and spend online. And spend <laughs> and and exactly. So and mobility as well has been validated in, in one of the most successful ways by the acquisition of, of Karim by Uber. So the problems that are in the MENA region, I would say if we are to quantify three or five, then they would be around fintech, they would be around food security, they would be around healthcare, and they would be around infrastructure and cybersecurity, and also the consumer space. So so these these are common issues that are touched by consumers and by businesses. And by common issues, I mean that this region is ready for innovation, and this region has been a region that is up for innovating new ideas and welcoming new models as long as they tick off these boxes. And the governments in the GCC and in the MENA region are ready to be digitized and modernized. And that's why it's about we've time. Seen, yeah, it's about time. <laughs> that's why we've seen a lot of ecosystem players, whether regulators or accelerators, even international accelerators that are coming into this region. And this is a validation that this region is ready to be transformed into becoming a startup hub between Asia and Africa. And from the point of view of a venture builder, do you place importance on your portfolio companies being green? Yeah, definitely. So it's part of our mandate to look at startup ideas and and models that have a clear intersection between tech and impact. And impact can be sustainable and environmental impact or social impact. 
And we're, we're very serious about measuring impact and reporting it to our shareholders and stakeholders. So when reporting it back to investors who, you know, just want to maximize their returns, how do you present it in a manner where you give them value for the impact their investment is creating at the expense of dollars back? Yeah. So it all goes back to the maturity of this region and the ecosystem itself. But things are happening really fast. And we've seen a lot of governments paying attention to these important and crucial topics. Impact can be measured in different ways. As long as the country and the ecosystem is ready and accepting these new revolutions happening across the globe, then things will happen really fast and really quick in our region and specifically in the GCC. And how ready would you say are the investors for this in the GCC? They're ready for these discussions. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they started be, like, getting ready for these discussions, I would say, this year and last year. Do you find that they ask for it? Or does it come from you? Well, actually, it depends on the pipeline that is in the market. So if there is, if there is a pipeline of deals around that specific problem that should be solved, then yeah, investors, they would be more than happy and willing to look at it, not only from the economics angle, but also from, the, from an impact angle. So these discussions, they should, they should be taken seriously by institutional and non-institutional investors because there's a lot of good that will be added to the ecosystem and to the investing space in general. Do you by any chance ever encounter entrepreneurs who care too much about impact and not enough about financial returns? Yeah, I think there should be a balance. Definitely, we, we come across. <laughs> okay, so, so if you, uh, I don't know, are working with an entrepreneur hippie, how do you get them to see the financial light? So basically, if they are in the startup space, every startup is meant to make financial returns. The blend of making financial returns and impact, this is a beautiful balance if it can be achieved without biases, of course. So every startup, it's meant to grow, it's meant to make its returns, and it's meant to make financial sense, both to the entrepreneur himself and to his investors and his partners and his suppliers as well and his customers. So these financial returns are the ABCs of startup as, as a model and achieving this hyper growth in your startup is something that requires funding, definitely. If you're all obsessed about impact, then the equation is not right. The recipe has to have that balance between financial returns and driving impact, of course. Would you as a venture builder ever invest in or you know, help set up a non-for-profit company? So a 100% impact-driven company. Hmm. Would that make sense for you as a venture builder? Well, well, actually, to be honest with you, we haven't looked at any yet. Most likely we would do so when we progress a little bit down the line and when we prove our ability to convince and validate startups, ones with clear and measurable impact, probably down the line, yeah, we will be looking at internally, we'll be looking at several ideas, ones that are purely non-profit and they would make sense to these communities. It, it can be an initiative of Hatch and Boost, not an investment of Hatch and Boost. And it can be a startup that is ready to be paired or associated with a government entity offering a specific program or a specific initiative to the government and being funded by, by the government, but managed purely by Hatch and Boost as a portfolio. By expert entrepreneurs. Yeah. Interesting. Ooh, okay. Maybe if I ever come up with a non-for-profit idea. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to look at it. Thank you very much for your time. I Thanks would say, so much, I mean, I've learned a lot about Venture Building. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. 
To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshireen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshireen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.